If you open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, we're doing a continuation of last week about our great one great testimony. Paul says in verse 21 of chapter 1, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. I was reminded of a story this week uh, that I read uh, in in a book by Chuck Colson, who is now in heaven, called The Good Life. Chuck Colson had the privilege and opportunity to be in a community in Florida a number of years ago. There was a, a gathering of super rich people. And in that gathering, it was along the coast. There was a beautiful white tent spread across a beautiful lawn. He said people showed up at 5 o'clock in their evening finery, dressed, wonderfully dressed, for a good evening. And he was asked by the host to share his story his life story. He had already been in prison, been through the Watergate scandal and all of that. And so Chuck Colson gets up to share his story. He gets done, and she opened it up for questions. And he said they asked questions about politics and Nixon and Watergate and all of that. And then she said, we have time for one more question. And Chuck Colson then relays how he's surveying the tent, and there was a man in the back of the tent. He was leaning against the tent pole with a cocktail in his left hand. And he said, Mr. Colson, you talked about being in prison and your experience. He said, none of us can relate to that experience. He said, as you see here and you look around, he said, we have a very good life. He said, what would you say to us, people who have no problems? Chuck Colson said he just stared at him for a moment. And he said, I question your premise that you have no problems. He said, if that is true, he said, I would like to meet with you afterwards to hear how you have a life of no problems. He said, I do look across, and he said, I see out here on the coast beautiful, elegant yachts, beautiful homes, beautiful landscape. But he said to the man, he said, 
what happens when you're on your deathbed and all of this goes away? Then what? He said the man's countenance totally changed. And then he said, thankfully, they closed that part of the program. But he said he stayed around for another hour after his talk, and he listened to people's stories of divorce, drugs, wayward children, and the problems just went on and on and on and on. And I share that with you because we live in a world of illusion. There's an illusion in our world that even lost people are okay. That they seem to be sailing through life and have no problems. And, and we look at them and we like, yeah, they, they seem to be doing pretty good. I mean, their kids seem to be doing good. They're doing good. And, but yet, we get reality struck when we hear of suicide in our community. Reality strikes when three young people lose their lives in a tragic accident. Reality strikes when we have storms that impact our farmers. Reality strikes when somebody goes bankrupt. Reality strikes when a parent learns about a teenager that is now hooked on drugs. The reality is we have a great testimony to share that there's an illusion in our world that people are okay who are lost, and they're not. They're not okay. And what's more sad is I think sometimes we feel okay about it, and we don't want to share our testimony. And I want to remind us that our testimony is one of the most powerful things that we possess as believers in Jesus. And so what does Satan do? He discourages us from sharing our testimony. Oh, my story doesn't mean that much. I grew up in church. Your testimony has incredible weight and power when you combine it with the gospel. Incredible weight and power when you combine it with the gospel. Last week we looked at Abel, how he offered to God a more excellent sacrifice through Cain. And he was commended as righteous, God commending him. And through his faith, Though he died, he still speaks. Even after he's dead, his testimony still reigns on. Last week, we looked at three keys, and we're going to look at a couple more keys. I said there were five keys. There's actually five keys and one difficulty. But just quickly, by way of review, the first key that we looked at was one great helper, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there to help us, to empower us, to share our testimony with the lost person. How do we get to that point, though, where we have the compassion and the passion to do it? Where we want to share our testimony? I think it comes from this. We first have to recognize our own brokenness. When I forget that I'm a broken person, and I'm in need of God's grace and forgiveness, I'm less apt to want to offer that to somebody else. But I need to see their brokenness. Chuck Colson, even though they saw all that facade, he saw the brokenness of man behind all their dresses and yachts and houses. Do we see the brokenness in our culture of people that are lost on their way to a Christless eternity? 
without Jesus. The Holy Spirit is there to help us and empower us, and he gives us comfort to do it. He comforts us in our troubles. And that's a great testimony in itself that when you're going through a hard time, and you may be going through one right now, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, you can give that testimony. People are wondering, how are you making it through this? It's the comfort of the Holy Spirit. His comfort comes to us and meets us where we are. We also have a wonderful counselor in the Holy Spirit who counsels us and ministers to us in our need. Secondly, we have one great belief and hope to exalt Christ in his body. One great belief and hope. That's what protects our minds in Christ Jesus. The belief and hope that we have in Jesus Christ to exalt Christ in our body. One great focus in life and death. Christ. That's our focus. When somebody's on their deathbed, knowing Christ is of ultimate importance. My little machine stopped working up here, so I guess God wants me to do it ad lib. (laughs) Um, Doesn't seem to be working. But we want to pick up on these last couple. One great difficulty to live or depart to be with Christ. The difficulty that Paul had, if you look down here in verse 22, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Paul is saying I'm torn between two, and it really carries two ideas. It carries the idea of being squeezed and pressured, walking between Two big rocks, and you feel hemmed in, you feel pressured. He feels this internal pressure with him that he wants to be with Christ, but he wants to also be with the Philippians. He's like, what am I supposed to do here? I feel torn. Do you ever feel that tear? Would it just be nice just to be in heaven with God and not be in this sin-cursed earth? I feel that at times. It'd be nice, wouldn't it, just to be free of all of this pain and sorrow and suffering and hurt and brokenness. And Paul felt that. He's like, man, it would be great to be rid of all this, but you know what? He said, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far because we're in the presence of Christ. But he said, it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain. I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying, I have mentoring to do. I have discipleship to do. There are people that need to be trained in the church to share their testimony, to be a witness, to be an example. And Paul says, God has called me to do that. And there are hundreds of ways for us to carry out ministry. Hundreds of ways to carry out ministry. I came across an interesting statistic the other day. It said that Starbucks has 19,000 ways they can make a cup of coffee. (laughs) And I was thinking there's 19,000 ways we can carry out ministry as well. Many ways we can carry out ministry. 
And God wants us to do that. And we are called to do that. How are we doing that at Bethesda? We are doing that starting in the nursery. Sherilyn Fast does a great job heading that up. And she has a great team of workers who help her. But what is one of the things they do in the nursery is they pray for the babies and the toddlers to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ at a young age. They're not just holding the babies. They're loving them. They're praying that they will come to know Jesus at a young age. Then we move up to the Sunday School and Awana programs. What are those all about? It's all about making disciples. That is what God has called the church to do, is to make disciples. And so in our Sunday School, we just handed out the Bibles. Why? To invest in these kids. So they will come to know Jesus and be a follower of Jesus. Awana, the same thing. They're memorizing God's word, putting it in their hearts. Why? We want them to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And then we move up to our youth program. We have a youth pastor to lead our youth. Why? To teach them God's word, to teach them a biblical worldview so they know who Jesus is and they know what they believe and why they believe it. We have adult Bible fellowships. We have Bible study on Wednesday night for the ladies. They're in-home Bible studies. We've had men meet at uh, Jeremy's shop early in the morning. Why? For discipleship and growth and development. That's what God has called us to do. But where does it all start? It starts with salvation, with people coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's where it has to begin. And God has called us. He's given us the gospel. Paul is in prison. He wants to advance the gospel. Where are we? What is the context with which God wants us to share the gospel? Where has God placed you in your employment? Who are you rubbing shoulders with? You know, in, in missions, they call it contextualization. Contextualization is understanding the context in which God has placed you so you are in a position to share the gospel with people around you that God has put in your path to share the gospel with. This past week, I met with a young man. And I had the privilege of sitting down with him and sharing the gospel with him so he would understand, first of all, that he's lost. And without Christ, he's heading for a Christless eternity. And when we were done, I wrote down, I jotted down the scriptures and I gave them to him. And I said, I want you to take these and read them. And see, where are you at in your relationship with God? Do you have a guarantee of heaven? Yesterday, I got a text on my phone. I want to read it to you. I got this yesterday morning. Hi, Pastor. Just wanted to let you know I've been reading the verses you gave me, and I asked God to come into my heart and forgive my, me and my sins today. I know I don't know everything, but I believe 100%, and I know I'm going to heaven. Thank you. I called him. Amen. Amen. I called him almost immediately, 
and said, I want to talk to you. And I was able to talk with him and him sharing that with me on the phone. And what really touched my heart was on the phone, he said, I want to follow Jesus. <laughs> now, the reason I had that privilege, and God has given me that on a few occasions where I have a front row seat, and there is nothing greater that brings greater joy to my heart than that. And my heart and desire for you is that you would have that opportunity to have a front row seat to what God wants to do in someone's heart. We are to make disciples in the church. That's what God has called us to. Any vision of any church that does not include making disciples might as well close their doors. We're here to make disciples. It begins with salvation. It begins, so the context, I want you to think about the context that God has placed you in. Maybe you need to go for a prayer walk through your neighborhood and begin to pray for the neighbors that live around you. I know some of you live in the country and you're like, oh my goodness, I have to walk five miles to pass three houses. Well, think of the exercise you'll get. It'll be wonderful. You'll be in great shape. But here's the point. There are lost people all around us. We have the light of truth. When we hear about these tragedies, do you have any connection to those families at all? Because if you do, you have a testimony to share. And God wants to use you. What about the other tragedies that are around us that are happening? What is the context in which God has placed me that he wants me to be able to share with these people that he's placed around me? That I see their brokenness, I see their hurting, and I have an opportunity to share with them. The Lord allowed this to come back on. <laughs> Um, the fourth key because that was the difficulty it says five there's five keys but one difficulty we just talked about the difficulty there's also one great readiness and that is to serve unselfishly Paul says in verse 25 convinced of this I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. And we just talked about all the ways that God wants to do that. We have other ways too in our church that we are seeking to make disciples. How else are we doing that? We talked about Sunday school, Awana, ABF, nursery, all these Bible studies, all these ways. We have the guy thing as well on Tuesday mornings where they discuss the sermon. We have Celebrate Recovery, and in those Celebrate Recovery, we have step studies that are helping people identify their hurts, habits, and hang-ups and grow. And we've had people move into leadership from that. And so God is using that as a, a tool for discipleship. Grief Share is another ministry that we use to help people through the grieving process. That is a ministry of discipleship because you're teaching them to rely on God and turn to God in the scriptures. Anthony mentioned in the announcements about Friend Day. We have Freedom Works, a ministry that we support. Our missions is another arm that God uses in our vision to reach people with the gospel. 
And so as you give to the church, you are giving and supporting missionaries and to pray for our missionaries that they might come, people might come to know Jesus. But on October 13th for our friend day, Freedom Works is coming and they will be bringing former inmates to share their testimonies and stories of God's grace, their testimonies of God's grace. And we need you to bring your friends here, neighbors, people that you're rubbing shoulders with so they can hear these stories and be exposed to the gospel and hopefully come to know Jesus as their Savior. So Paul said that God kept him in the flesh for the progress and joy of the Philippians. That he would remain there Make disciples, train disciples. See, we can give a new believer some scripture that will feed him for a day or a week, but teaching him how to study the Bible will feed him for a lifetime. We have people in our church who need another believer to come alongside of them to help them study the scripture. So here's my question. Do you feel equipped enough to take another believer by the arm, and say, let's sit down and study the Scripture together. If not, there are tools available. We have tools available to help you do that. And that is what is going to grow a church, is making disciples. Reaching them with the gospel and then helping them grow, because we have people here who I believe want to grow, need to grow, but it takes more than a couple pastors to do that. It takes somebody else to be willing to say, hey, um, give them to me. Um, I'll be willing to sit down with someone. I'll be willing to help them and willing to do that. What we have learned in the Christian life has to be passed on. I would also encourage us to look for teachable moments when we see a believer going through a difficult time to share with them how God has strengthened us in a difficult time. That testimony will mean so much to them. Maybe there's some people in church that you don't know them yet. Let me encourage you to enter their world. Invite them out for coffee. Sit down with them. Enter their world. Find out their story. There's another man I met this week. We talked for an hour and a half. And he just kind of opened his life. Learning context. See, we tend to look at people and we say, well, look at that tattoo on them. But you know, here's the problem. We don't know the story behind the tattoo. Oh, they dress this way. I don't know why they dress that way. Years ago, I went out with a man. He had a ponytail down to here. And I got together with him. We just went out after work one day. I was still working and working my way through seminary. And I said, he said, what do you want to talk about? I said, well, I want to talk about you. I want to find out your story. I want to find out who you are. And so he began to share his story. And I learned his story, and I found out who he was and what he was about. And he had some hurts in his life. He also didn't know Jesus. Unfortunately, he didn't accept him that day, but I prayed for him that he would. So look for those moments. Enter their world. 
Find out who they are. Schedule intentional contact for learning their story. What pain and hurts have they endured? How can you share biblical truth to shine light on their perspective? And one other one I'll mention quickly. What about the teens? Are you praying for the teens? There were cards out there to pick up a card and pray for that teen. I would take you to go a step further. Invite that teen out and sit down and talk with them and find out how you can really pray for them and pray with them in front of them. You want to impact their world? We can sit back and criticize our teenagers or we can come alongside of them and realize, you know what, they got a lot of pressure they have a lot of struggles, they have difficulties, and they need somebody older that's been through some hurts to encourage them and to pray with them and help them. The last one I want to mention is one great citizenship, it's heavenly. We have a heavenly citizenship. Paul says this in verse 27. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Here's what Paul is saying. We don't know what's going to happen in our lives. None of us know when we walk out this door what's going to happen. But Paul says it doesn't matter what happens. It matters how we respond to what happens to us. How we respond. And here's what Paul is saying. That no matter what happens, you and I are to respond as citizens of heaven. That's what he's saying. That our conduct is supposed to be in miniature in the church of what conduct would be in heaven. Now, we're not going to have heaven on earth. I know that it's, it's not. There's no paradise here. But Paul is saying that should be the goal of what we should be striving for. You see, the Philippians were very proud to be Roman citizens, even though they were just a Roman colony. And see, Roman citizens had privileges. They were speaking the Latin language. They were dressing in Latin clothing. They could buy property. They weren't allowed to be beaten. They had a lot of privileges and rank, and they took great pride in their Roman citizenship. Paul is saying we should take just as much or more pride as citizens of heaven. As citizens of heaven, we have the privilege to represent Jesus Christ to the world. And so as citizens of heaven, Paul is telling the Philippians you should have such a picture of heaven in your church that when people come in, they should feel the love of Christ among you. And that love of Christ among you and that internal harmony among you is going to be a great testimony to the lost. A great testimony to the lost. Our citizenship in heaven and he tells them that they would stand firm as one spirit, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. What does it mean to walk worthy of the gospel? Well, quickly, when you go back to Ephesians 4, Paul talks about living in humility. 
as walking worthy of the Lord. Humility is seen by a person who turns his back on status, security, and success, and he looks for ways to serve others. In Romans, it says, outdo one another in showing honor. You see, a humble person doesn't create conflict. He looks for ways to diffuse it. That's what a humble person does. Gentleness, he says that in Ephesians 4, 2, that we would be gentle. See, this is citizenship of heaven. We could go through all the fruits of the Spirit. That should be evident in our family as a church, as citizens of heaven. It's a great testimony. Well, let me close with this. When life comes to the end, your life, my life comes to the end, what matters? I'm reminded of this song by Robin Mark. And it's sung by others as well, Don Moen. When it's all been said and done, listen to these lyrics. When it's all been said and done, there is just one thing that matters. Did I do my best to live for truth? Did I live my life for you? When it's all been said and done, all my treasures will mean nothing. Only what I've done for love's reward will stand the test of time. Lord, your mercy is so great that you look beyond our weakness and find purest gold and miry clay, making sinners into saints. I will always sing your praise here on earth and ever after, for you've shown me heaven's my true home. When it's all been said and done, you're my life when life is gone. Lord, I'll live my life for you. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. As we bow our heads this morning, I just want to remind us, as believers, you possess a powerful testimony. Maybe you need to write out your testimony on paper or on the computer just to get it in your mind how you can share it effectively and in different contexts. Think about the context in which God has placed you, the lost people that he has placed around you, and the story that God has given you to speak into their story, into their life. We live in a culture of pain and hurt, hopelessness, and we have the hope of the gospel. And I pray that God will burden your heart. I hope that you have people on a prayer list that you are praying for that are lost without Christ and you are praying for opportunities to share the gospel with, you, with them. Yesterday I spoke on the phone with a man who I worked with when I was 19 or 20 years of age. He's still lost. He's in his upper 70s. And I didn't really get a lot to share with him spiritually yesterday, but at the very end of our conversation on the phone, he said, do you have a prayer for me? I said, yes, I do. And you know, one of the things I prayed for him on, over the phone was, 
I said, God, you know, and I said his name, that he doesn't believe in you. And I pray that he will come to know you as his Savior. That was one of the things I prayed for him, among other things. I prayed for him in the loss of his wife. His wife had passed away, and I prayed for him, for God's comfort. But see, we have opportunities God has placed in our midst that God wants us to share with the lost. And there's lots of stories sitting right in front of me that he wants to use every one of you. And one of the lies of the enemy is God doesn't want to use me. He wants to use you. Guaranteed. Your story. Share it. By God's grace. By God's power. Let's pray. And right before I pray, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, what I've talked about this morning, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, your brokenness, your problems, your sinfulness. Jesus died for it. He shed his blood. He paid for your sin in full so you could be forgiven, but you have to ask Jesus to come into your life and forgive you and save you. You can do that in your seat. And if you do, would you speak to myself or someone around you and say, today I ask Jesus Christ into my life and we would like to get resources to you to help you grow in your walk with Christ. That's what we're all about. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.